my nipples aren't close enough together. <laughs> second iteration of the big podcast and we are here at the Kentucky Center for the Performing Arts on uh, the weekend of the Bourbon Classic. Uh, I want to let everyone who's with us introduce ourselves today so I'll start with myself. I'm Bill Straub. I'm one of the founders and the editor of ModernThirst.com. Matt Gates here with uh, Modern Thirst as well, another founder. Um, Bill does all the good writing and reviewing for our site. Wes Shelley from Modern Thirst. I'm the World Whiskey's writer. And I'm Patrick Garrett, our pops from Bourbon and Banter. Good old boy Mike from Sips, Suds, and Smokes. And I am Jenny Tonic from the Charlie Tonic Hour. I'm Carrie Ann Fuller. I'm straight up 615. Dan Gardner, Four Roses Distillery. Well, we want to thank everybody for listening to us today. Um, we also, we've had, a, we've had a fun weekend so far, but we want to give some thanks to Dan Gardner of Four Roses, who's here with us today. He's, he's been a member of the quote-unquote bus club for several years, and he's been a great supporter of ours and, and all of our different sites and endeavors that we've done. So thank you very much, Dan. Um, also, awesome. I want to thank Mike, good old boy Mike, for doing all of the technical setup on this and bringing the entire rig, because this is not a small feat. So thanks, Mike. You're welcome. Why is there Malort in my glass? <laughs> <laughs> we were really hoping you wouldn't notice. Hashtag Malort. So you're saying all the chug rules that I talked about in advance, this is my retribution? Is that how this works? Oh, my lord. Uh, so for those of you who haven't heard us in a while, the big podcast is a kind of a collection of a lot of different people who have a lot of different kinds of social media presences and different bourbon preferences. Uh, not preferences. Social media <laughs> outlets. Um, we have been drinking. Good morning. Um, this started three years ago at the Bourbon Classic, really. Uh, a number of us, uh, and the group who are, who's involved has changed over the years, but a number of us were on one of the official media tours of, of the Bourbon Classic. So we went around for, I think that was almost a week long that first time. Uh, we went around to all sorts of different distilleries and bourbon outlets, and we really formed some good bonds, and it was very fun. It was a great week, great weekend. And we just kind of decided over the years to keep it up. So that first year, we recorded a big podcast. And nobody was arrested. Nobody was <laughs> indicted. I, that we know of. I'm going to stick with that. That we okay. know of. Um, but, uh, you know, some people have not been able to make it back since then. Some people, we do have some returnees. And, and it's the, the overall cast has changed. But that first year, we met here at the Center for the Arts. We're up on one of the balconies or, or whatever you call it, on the second level of the Center for the Arts here in Louisville. Um, and we recorded a podcast, and we just kind of recapped everything we did. You can probably find that on everyone's different podcast outlets. You can find it on Modern Thirst as well. Very much so. Um, but it was a great time, um, and it was, it was very well liked by, by our listeners, meager as they may be compared to a lot of other folks on here. Um, but we've kind of continued that. So every year, this, some of the same group, when we add people and some people fall off due to different commitments, uh, we get back together for the same weekend every year, and, and we organize our own different bus trips or whatever you want to call it. Bus. Bus. And we, <laughs> we visit different distilleries, and we visited cooperages, um, anything related to bourbon that we think is fun, interesting, and, and, and exciting. And we just try to have a pretty good time with it. And then we all just have kind of become friends, and we hang out at the Bourbon Classic. So that is the big <laughs> podcast. Anyone else have anything that I missed on that that needs to be added? My favorite color is uh, <laughs> uh, Fernet. <laughs> His favorite drink is Malort. When we're all 95 and we're sitting green. here at Bourbon Classic. It could happen. What? Maybe the bus club would be like a great The OG bus club. <laughs> Why is Carrie Ann wearing her sunglasses on the podcast? Is, is, uh, it, is, Matt said he might put something on Facebook Live. Is so. our, oh. <laughs> I, I, I had a technical difficulty there. So. Uh, okay. Uh, Why is Matt not wearing pants? Why do you care about the sunglasses? There you go. <laughs> that, that is a recurring theme. That was Darren's thing pants. last year. Yeah. Darren's had no pants. Um, so for the week to date, we have, we, have, we have a lot of people here who've kind of been together since roughly Wednesday night and some people who have joined us today or, or yesterday. Um, so kind of generally what we've, what we've done this week, we, we've had a lot of fun. So starting out on Thursday morning, we started at Lux Row Distillers in Bardstown, Kentucky. Um, Lux Row's not open to the public yet, but they are distilling, and it is Luxco. If you're not familiar with them, they own Rebel Yell. Um, just all sorts of, of 
older ones, I've suddenly forgotten all of them. Ezra, Ezra Brooks. Ezra Brooks. Yeah. Um, David Nicholson. Nicholson. David Nicholson. They, they're a, they have traditionally been a bottler out of St. Louis, Missouri. They've been in this game since the 1950s. Uh, but they've finally built uh, their own distillery, and it will be open to the public soon. And a major brand that we got to try while we were there was Blood Oath. And Blood Oath. Uh, we'll talk about uh, both uh, Pack 3 and 4 as well. A- exactly. Um, so what did you guys think of the distillery? I, and I know, you know, you, at some point, at some level, you see a distillery and you've seen the distilleries. But uh, it looks like fermenters. It looks like a still. <laughs> Indeed it does. But Indeed the visitor center is really well done. Yeah. They, they did a great job of that. Uh, we... I said it was similar to the um, Breckenridge Distillery I was at because they have a great, uh, great bar there in Tasting Center. But it, it's really well done, and they really focus on the family aspect of their business. And I, I, I thought it was cool. Yeah. So, uh, uh, good old boy Bob and I got to uh, drop by uh, Luxro on a hip waiter tour <laughs> last last fall. And uh, it was just a mud pit uh, that we were walking around most of the time. But uh, most of the equipment was in place. And so one of the there were two uh, really great moments to see the point of transition. One, it's a fully functional distillery. They've been running Indeed. for about six weeks. And uh, it was it was really great to see that the visitor center area. It's probably one of the more impressive ones in the area. I really liked it a lot. Uh, they were already hanging merchandise in the in the visitor center too, so it is like I mean it's going to open like any moment. Like I think April eleventh, yeah. April. Gorgeous piece Gorgeous. of property. That's, I mean, that's what impressed really me. The, just the setting as you drive in the old house. Uh, it's what built in runner eighteen hundred, so it's beautiful setting. I, I, I was very impressed with it. And I I don't know who else is. I, I was there for the groundbreaking, and then once over this probably sh- within a couple of weeks of when Mike was there. Um, but we came in the back entrance today because we were on kind of a big bus. Uh, but the front entrance to it, the only thing that rivals it is Woodford Reserve. It is a gorgeous single-lane drive up. It meanders in some trees, some fences, and the farmland. It's beautiful. Um, and they, they really, I mean, again, like you said, the property they picked, they could not have found something better. And they're in the bourbon capital of the world in Bardstown. So. Well, uh, a couple of important uh, transition points for Luxro is if you weren't unfamiliar with their products, they have been uh, contract distilling for some time. And this is actually their ability of actually running on their own gear for most of their products, not all of them. Um, so it's a, it's a really great moment for, uh, for that company and to be kind of masters of their own brands uh, as well. So I could tell the sense of pride and pop and John's, uh, you know, step in a pep in a step, you know, to say, I made that, you know, because yeah. uh, we all got to taste the distillate that was coming off. Amazing, wasn't it, Dan? We were, we were talking I, about I, this. I'm not a great judge, but I really liked it. I've tasted ours a lot, of course, but uh, that was very, very smooth. And if it doesn't taste like kerosene, it's, you know, distillate 138 proof, you're doing something. If it's coming off the still that good, it's going to come out of the barrel four, five, six years later, whatever, very, very good. Yeah, garbage to, in, garbage out. I got to have a really nice little side chat with John talking about what it was going to be like to transition and keep some continuity with the brand and the profile and everything. And I think he has a really um, realistic and approach to how he's going to keep the profile as similar as possible, but... It's, it's not ever going to be 100% the exact same as what they've been contracting. And, you know, just to listen to his passion about getting to make it himself finally, I thought was really cool. And the John we keep mentioning is John Rempe, who was previously the master blender for Luxco, and now he's the head of distilling, I think is his title. I don't think he's calling himself master distiller, which is probably which smart considering that too, he's yeah. been distilling for six weeks. Um, but uh, the worst kept secret in bourbon is that Luxco all of their bourbon is almost all of their bourbon if not all of it has been sourced from heaven hill the lux family don lux and his family and the shapira family own heaven hill are best friends and don's dad died a a while back and and i remember speaking to him a couple of times about how the shapira family almost adopted him and they go out of their way to make sure that lux co is okay you know it's long even when they don't really have the capacity to, to, to do stuff for lux co they do stuff at Luxco. And, it, you know, it's great. And it, you really talk about how all these older families that have been around and even the Luxes who don't, haven't distilled before, but they've been in the business since the 50s. It, it's a very tight-knit community, especially in Kentucky. I'm sure it, it extends elsewhere as well. Yeah. Great to uh, swing by Four Roses uh, uh, that day as well. We've been to Four Roses quite a bit. 
And uh, I've spent a lot of time with Dan. And, and the thing that I loved was as many times as I've walked in Rick houses with Dan, I still learn something new. Every um, time. And it just uh, it really it was uh, it's always great to get back to uh, Four Roses, um, you know, surrounded by wonderful products. And uh, it was just uh, it was great to be back, you know, at Cox Creek. Uh, it was really fabulous. Well, thank you. You know, we were the distillery is still not open for tours yet. Of course, we've uh, doubled our capacity. We've added a second column still, second doubler, second cooker. So those aren't all online. Uh, hopefully within a month, we'll have all the OSHA required uh, <laughs> procedures in place so we can get back into the distillery. It's completely reconfigured. You, you won't recognize it. If, <clears throat> if you've been there before, you won't recognize it now. Wow. <clears throat> We might need a mid-season bus. Yes. <laughs> we get um, it open, we'll do that. There Absolutely. are two S's in the bus club, in case anyone is wondering. <laughs> Maybe wow. it was a good thing that I didn't go to Four Roses this year, after all. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't drink anything there, Jenny. She, she's had had our last experience <laughs> there, which didn't quite end the way that Jenny thought it was going to end. So, yeah. um, uh, are we going to get to the Burnwood? I want to get to the part where we talk about all the burn wood. Can we get to the part where we talked about burn wood? Let's talk about burn wood. Yeah. I think Mike uh, wants to talk about burn wood. Uh, I'll always love uh, visiting cooperages, and we went to uh, Kelvin, uh, which is a major uh, cooperage here in the Louisville area. And uh, the first thing that caught us, uh, caught me off guard, I've been there previously, but we actually met in the front office, and I didn't know who all their customers were. And they had all of the products that were kind of laid out, you know, on a table, you know, talking a little bit about uh, who the customers were. So it was it was really cool to kind of connect barrel with product, um, which I knew some of them. But when you see all those brands in front of you, so. And, and to be fair, they don't. Um, I, I've known Paul McLaughlin for a while and uh, from Kelvin Cooperage. And a lot of those they just have worked with once or twice. They have a lot of Jim Beam bottles and they don't do anything for Jim Beam currently, but that I know of um, but they're not that big of, of, of a cooperage yeah and when you visit it it's really cool because everything's done by like five guys doing it by hand they have the big machines but somebody's got to lift the barrel up yeah, and put not it in brown forms there is no jet of natural gas flames <laughs> charring these things they literally have four dudes throwing their their excess oak shavings into a fire and then shoveling them inside a barrel to char them and they stand there and they look and it's by sight, smell, and feel that they say this is the char we're looking for and they pull the barrel off. Wow. And they that only was do impressive after mm-hmm. seeing the huge ones like Brown Foreman and how different and how hands-on these guys didn't have. Yeah, they the, had hammers. They didn't yeah, have machines. Right. It well, was and the one thing I did as we were walking around is I did a finger count, and everybody had 10 fingers. <laughs> in that place, so. And for the Scotch rider in the group, it was uh, fascinating seeing the barrels coming in from the the local distilleries in Louisville and what they're doing to prepare them to go to Scotland and also the sherry butts that are sitting in there that are being brought back from Europe to uh, age and finish some of the whiskeys in the, in, in the U.S. That's where most of our used barrels go with Kelvin. You know, they ship most of them back to, to Scotland. So well, they're, they're selling, I guess, some to, to breweries now, but Kelvin takes the vast majority of our used barrels. I, I think that their um, used barrel program is exponentially larger than the new barrel. They, oh, absolutely. I, I actually, off the top of my head, I don't remember what they said their capacity for new barrels was, but it is about a fifth, I think, of what they move every year. Oh, 90%. Yeah. I would guess. That was like a tenth, I think. Yeah, maybe a tenth. So like 90% of what they do is buying used barrels, refurbishing the ones they can, and setting them on. Popsy, you been there? I did. We uh, came down in October for our fifth anniversary and got a, a tour as well. And I think it was the highlight of our trip. Well, do you use the uh, the charring, uh, you know, part of that facility as a personnel management process to say, <laughs> listen, you're the new guy. Just stand a little closer to the fire. <laughs> exactly. Right. We will haze you. We would like to write for the, us. Well, that's what I was going to say is the lawyers cannot like that tour. They, they would, if their lawyers were there, they would not have liked see, seeing how close we were to that's the fire. That's worth mentioning, though. That, that's why you guys kept on pushing me towards <laughs> the fire, right? There's embers the flying everywhere. a little closer to the fire, yeah. So for yeah. listeners who don't know, Kelvin is actually not open to the public. No. Randomly, yeah. you can't just so call or show yeah, up. Don't start calling. You want a tour. And the, there's a reason for that. It is you are going to be it's coughing It's an industrial at the end. site, yeah. It is industrial. It is the building has been there since 1910, 
right around World War One. It's changed hands a couple of times. But it's yeah. always been a cooperage. Yeah. Um, and it is, you are indoors, and they are burning oak. So it, <laughs> let, let's just say that it, it's not exactly like a pleasant place, yeah. environment. And avail, it, yeah, and avail yourself of the pictures that we took there, and you'll get to see the inside yeah. of it. Yeah. It's hot. And, it's loud. Very There's loud. burning things flying in the air. How we weren't wearing goggles, ear protection, and hard hats, I have right? no idea. But that's why they don't offer offer public tours. I and came back any, with most of my hair, so I'm glad. And for any lawyers listening, um, we really enjoyed the tour and had no problems with it. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing not to worry assuming. about. <laughs> well, so, go ahead. Right. Uh, I was going to say we did uh, Kelvin Cooperage in the morning, and we did. Um, um, our next stop was Bernheim yes, Distillery, yes, yes. which is Heaven Hill's main distillery in West Louisville. Now, a, a lot of place. people don't know because Heaven Hill always lists their address as Bardstown, Kentucky. But if you remember back in 1996, the actual distillery in Bardstown burned to the ground. Um, it was basically uh, the seventh circle of hell. But, um, yeah, so it, it, in order to fix that or, or actually start distilling again, Heaven Hill bought um, a distillery from United Distillers, which was dormant at the time, and they refurbished it to fit their needs. And that is the Bernheim Distillery in West Louisville. I'd never been there before. I'm, a, I, I'm an unabashed Heaven Hill fanboy. I like their stuff. It's, it's very low cost, and it tastes very good, and, and I don't know how you could fault them for that. But I'd always wanted to see where it's made. And Bernheim Distillery is not a, a, its not what you think of when you think of the Kentucky distilleries. There's no scenic drive-in. There aren't yeah. any horses. There's no yeah. nice stone walls. It is a factory. It is a, a factory. bourbon it is factory. Nice the wood, largest nice wood fence. Negative. facility. <laughs> the size Barbed wire fence, of that check. operation. <laughs> and bullet holes. Bullet holes. <laughs> they wow. have 64, three 64-inch column stills within about 10 feet of each other. And these things are massive. I've never seen anything. I'll I've never seen it. one. I was aroused. I was aroused. It, 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 it yeah. We noticed. It was, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. He called you out on it was, that. It was difficult for me to continue the tour. I mean, seriously, uh, I, you know, walked through hundreds of distillery and brewery tours and uh, to see uh, three column stills that are, you know, five feet across, uh, in one room was just uh, incredible. Yeah, I I've never seen that before. The so. doubler that that was in the the kind of where the third third column still was is larger than the still than the actual still pot or pot still than than any other one I've seen. It's massive. It's unbelievable how big that operation. But is. then we moved to the next room, which. Holy yeah, whole, yeah. The, it, I don't think yeah. calling it a room really. It's more like a football field. So. And the pictures. Uh, we forgot to. So I w- want to give a shout out to Josh, who was our tour guide. Josh from, Haper. Uh, from the PR department. PR. And uh, so we had this real brief conversation when we walked into the plant. He said, so we have the largest fermenters that you've ever seen. And I'm like, hmm, okay, game on, buddy. Because I've seen quite a bit. And I was thinking of the fermenters that are at Sierra Nevada in uh, Asheville. Uh, because it's 80,000 gallons, I believe, uh, that are in these fermenters at the brewery. And there's actually eight of them, I believe. And you can see them from orbit. They're so big. Um, so I'm like, okay, I, those are the biggest ones I've seen. And then we walk into this room, 124,000 gallons. 17 of them. Just a <laughs> wow. little bump up. It was just, I, it, I was, it was 180, m- wasn't it? 124. 124, They yeah. had one of yeah. them that was 200. 100, 123,800. Yeah, 200 gallons short, which is why there's a shortage of the Parker's Reserve. (laughs) (laughs) If you fell in one of these things, they would not find you for weeks. They would would ferment 95,000 batches before they knew you were in there. Like a bone would wind up in someone's Elijah Craig and be like, what the hell is that finger bone doing? You know, by comparison, the special bone edition. Yeah, by <laughs> comparison, ours are tw- ours at Four Roses are twenty six thousand gallons. So those are five times bigger than wow. than our. <laughs> the massive stills we were talking about. It takes six full runs of three stills to fill one fermenter. Yeah. And I can remember that number because I've had less Elijah Craig barrel proof than the rest of the group. <laughs> <laughs> Catch up. Speaking of that, this was the bourbon we had last time on this too. No, we had uh, Elmer. Yeah, so we're all sitting around sipping on some uh, Elijah Craig Barrel Proof. This is batch C917. Um, Last time we had some Elmer T. Lee brought by the folks at Bottom of the Barrel Bourbon who are not with us this year. And Bill wanted to get rid of this bottle, and I think mission mission accomplished. accomplished. Thank you. 
and we took this as a challenge. We succeeded. Um, we will be dipping into secondary stocks shortly. If we're actually, I see that we already have. <laughs> and we're gonna leave. Um, so we just finished talking about uh, Heaven Hills Bernheim facility, and the next stop on our tour actually happened to be Angel's Envy, and this was yet another one I hadn't seen before. It's a it's a very new facility, and it is very clean. They made sure that we knew that. Shiny. I'd like Shiny. to point out, Bill's the only one among us that lives in Louisville. Well, I also have young children, so only? I don't get to have fun Sorry. at all. <laughs> Um, well, uh, a twofer. afraid they would make him clean it if he, yeah, so he went there too often. A twofer that was going on with visiting uh, Angel's Envy. So, one, most of us had never been there. And this is the first time that I got to chat with Wes or Kyle since uh, the buyout with Bacardi. And so it was kind of really cool to see both the context of the conversation about their operation, relationship, you know, with Bacardi as well, seeing that uh, facility that is in downtown Louisville as well. Is this the point we sell out, Kyle? Uh, no, uh, that comes in about 10 minutes. We were joking with Kyle, and, yeah. and he said some things that were funny, but in complete jest, so yes. we won't sell them out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the Kyle we're speaking of is Kyle Henderson. Uh, his uh, grandfather, Lincoln Henderson, and his father, Wes, were the founders of Angel's Envy. And uh, again, I don't think many of us, had anyone been there before? I had no. not. Uh, I've been there before, but I wasn't with you yesterday, so. So you, we can all talk about it. Um, Beautiful facility, right in downtown Louisville, right across was the street from Slugger Field. Um, against the Green, yeah, which is, is against exactly the Green right. Brewery, which we love here in Louisville. Um, and if you've uh, if you've never been there, um, it is a great tourist stop, and the location is great for it. What the location isn't great for is actually making whiskey. Um, <laughs> it's it's well, it's on Main Street, which means that getting semi trucks in and out of that is not easy. Because I don't know about any place else. Louisville's not the biggest city in the world. It's not the smallest, but we do have what they call traffic, and um, we. Um, we, we saw the kind of the, the way that it works. They're squeezed for space in the storage areas. The, the tourist areas are great, but we went back where they were actually storing the barrels, and you could barely, they, could, they couldn't have squeezed many There's more There's nowhere there. to go but up. Yeah, so. Everyone around this table's been to many distilleries, and I think we can all agree that uh, if you're in downtown Lovo, you should stop in. It's a beautiful, beautiful facility. In, in In the cleanest distillery you will probably ever go yeah. into. And we had a great tour. Uh, Kyle was Kyle was really good. He he knew his stuff. Uh, you know, he's hands on there at this the distillery. Um, it's very interesting seeing that versus some of the older distilleries that require a much larger um, force of people to maintain on a daily basis. They were talking about a handful of people doing the operations because computers control a lot of it. Um, it is about as modern as it gets. Maybe Peerless might be the only one that's more automated. That's the one where you basically yeah. push a button and then walk away and come back a day later and you've yeah. got two-year-old bourbon. Peerless is the Keurig of the craft bourbon. <laughs> I've never heard that put before, but that is the <laughs> best yeah, yeah. description I've ever heard of Peerless. Uh, Kyle said the uh, cleanest uh, distillery you ever walk into, and absolutely, oh my God. You Pristine. Could, you could have uh, probably had eggs off the floor and they would have you know, been gorgeous. I mean, it was just... Uh, it was so sp spick and span. I was like, "What uh, is, are, are these all props? Because I don't yeah. even know how you're... It was to the point that under one of their fermenters, there was a puddle the size of my cell phone, and I noticed it. Because everything <gasps> else was spick and span, shiny clean, and there was one little puddle where they, I guess they something had dripped. And, and you wondered if they would shut down to clean it. Yeah. It, it, I think it was beautiful. Matt that was dripping. I was about to say, that was actually the mash that... You know, Matt probably spilled all over you, you know, for the third time. I was so, uh, so this weekend I was a target for everyone else's food. Should have worn a poncho the whole time. I actually had pickles, pigs' feet, pour, pickled pigs' feet poured all over me by someone. They were someone. knuckles. <laughs> they were just knuckles. Poured all over me at dinner on Thursday night. Hot sauce on Friday, and then uh, mash exploded out of the Heaven Hill. Uh, d um, um, and you and fermenter all fermenter. over me and my camera. So it's a money <laughs> shot. Hey. <laughs> I'm completely off my game now. <laughs> <laughs> and scene. I would like to say one thing about Kyle. Um, and anyone at this table knows that you can't get me to say something nice about anybody to save my life. But I met I'm Kyle well aware. the first, three, first time maybe three and a half years ago. He was right out of school at Florida State and 
um, he showed up over at the Filson Academy, shared um, a pre-prohibition bourbon with us, but he was young. And the difference in seeing him yesterday and three and a half years ago Abs was his maturity, his understanding of this business, his passion for it, his just everything away. about I was really impressed Come with him. I'm, I'm excited to I see what I he was, does. I was thinking the same thing. That I, I last saw Kyle three years ago at a tasting in Nashville. And, yeah. He's a lot better looking than Wes. So there you go. <laughs> I'd, I'd never met Kyle before, and if you didn't know him three years ago, I would have thought he grew up in a, in a distillery. Because he, yeah. he no. knew what was going on. He knew that His place. His depth of understanding was, was very, of everything going on there was And I felt like safety notch. was paramount with the vest. <laughs> <laughs> so then. Good stuff. Uh, so that was kind of the last of the stuff we did as the bus club, and we, we moved on from that. So that was yesterday, which was Friday. The first actually official event of the uh, Bourbon Classic was Friday night, and that is the Culinary and Cocktail Competition. This is the first year they had moved locations. So the main event is always at the Kentucky Center for the Performing Arts, which is where they'd always had this competition. Last year they moved it to, this year, they moved it to Glassworks. Just a couple blocks away, it's it's uh, it's a very popular like kind of wedding facility here in Louisville. You have a lot of wedding receptions and things like that mm -hmm. there. Um, what did everybody think about it? My my main opinion is I would have preferred it remained where it had been in the past. Ditto. Did not like the venue. My main opinion is don't wear a sweater and a sports coat. It was a thousand <laughs> degrees. There I mean, were there were five times too many people in that room. I don't know if they were actually room. firing glass in there. Yeah, somewhere. it does say foundry in the name of the location, so maybe we should have expected that. Here, we're gonna do something really quick over here. Uh, uh, Jenny, you and I are gonna play rock paper scissors. <laughs> see who says cotton candy first. Ready? One, two, three. <laughs> I don't know what that just happened. I'm sorry. Yeah, you know. what, is, what is three candy? fingers? Yeah, I know. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh the, weird co scissors. the cocktail that made that impressed me last night. Oh, yes, see. So yes, that was it. The uh, the chinar infused cotton candy oh, with, yeah, that was that, a clipped to the side of the cocktail that you, yeah. that you used as a chaser. That I thought that was very creative. Most and impressive and garnish I think I've seen in a long time. Yeah, that was that a was chaser. Fun. I ate it first. <laughs> <laughs> so my my favorite cocktail of the night was actually someone who wasn't even in the competition. It was the uh, the jalapeno one over by the entrance. E. H. Taylor. E. H. Taylor. Yeah, Taylor. yeah that e. was Taylor. E. H. Taylor. Small yeah. batch. Um, I, again, I, anything that hot and spicy. I'll, I'll, Give me a hot and spicy competition, food eating, I'll try it. For so, me, uh, both the uh, Blantons were outstanding. Both the Blantons. Uh, yeah, Volare did a great job with the food with that, too. They were they were really on. By did, far did, my favorite Italian restaurant in Louisville, um, Volare, and uh, they did a fantastic job with the food. Do, like does any anybody know who won? Uh, the Remus actually won. Wow, the, so this was a layered drink of Ziffendale that was floated on top of a yeah, citrus infused. A very, uh, New York Sour. Original. Yeah, it was original. York, I thought it yeah. was okay. Uh, it was one of my top third, but I would not have put it in my top two or three. Pops, which one do you like? I don't remember anything about the drinks. <laughs> <laughs> or there was food. The, the, <laughs> now the food, I, I have to say, from the food perspective, I, I think uh, the deviled eggs that got rolled that out fantastic. the second half were just oh, I missed yeah, those. The mushroom fantastic. I skipped the mushroom. And ham. I like the oh. short rib on squash. That was really I good. Yeah, and. Uh, Carrie Ann and I were talking. I think our favorite yeah. thing was absolutely the bread pudding at Four Roses. My oh, favorite uh, pairing of the night was the it Four was Roses um, bread pudding, pudding with the cocktail yeah. that they did. I Everything else, I'm not on the pairing fan. On the pairing, because I thought that it wasn't sweet enough to hand up hand, to stand up to the bitterness of the cocktail. Mm. And I, if I drank the two and I took a bite, took a drink, took a bite, took a drink, I could not taste the bread pudding. Just couldn't taste it. The bitterness just overwhelmed mm -hmm. them. I wasn't that I'm technical. I'm clearly in the minority, it. so everyone <laughs> no, else discussed it. No, I was, I was glad that that bread pudding was not sweet, though. It was a yeah. nice, savory, like, sweet. I thought both the, the, the dish and the cocktail were fantastic. I didn't think they were the best match. That, that's just my opinion, and, and I'm not the cocktail guy, so, I mean, it's just again. obviously wrong. Well, <laughs> let's uh, listen to the, all of you yes. guys who know what you're the talking mushroom. about with cocktails. Please yes. The mushroom pate <laughs> with the ham and just the flavors that came across in that i took a picture sent it to my wife and said could you make this <laughs> <laughs> what was, the, sure what was the soup from the first ones that was so good oh it was the gumbo soup. it was a chicken gumbo, oh, the gumbo yeah. yeah oh my goodness that was amazing that was good i didn't actually get to try it but i think the impressiveness of just going out and saying i'm going to do this the the 21c restaurant did a, like a foie gras and sherry lollipop for their yeah. contemporary yeah, dish that. it was really that good. was good that was that unique was, 
I, you, you could start any sentence with foie gras. I don't really care whatever comes after that. You can just say <laughs> anything else. It's, you had me a foie is gras. Is foie gras better than three gras? <laughs> right, correct, yeah. <laughs> Hang on a second. Let me turn your mic off. Uh, well, you know, uh, Jenny and I always think about food pairings quite a bit on a lot of our shows. I mean, I, what did you think about, you know, kind of the food pairings themselves? We kind of talked about some of the individual dishes. I don't know if there was anything that I had that I thought, oh, these two things Things in particular, like, bring up the level of both. Um, I thought I had some really good food, I had some really good drinks, but I didn't really have anything that I thought, oh, these two need to go together in particular. And in the setting where you're holding everything and standing up and trying to eat with two hands and holding a drink, you're not really, evidently Bill found a way to eat and drink and alternate, but... I mean, it's just a little this difficult to innovation. get the full. Was that a Trump of thing? Pairing, of pairings. <laughs> Make cocktails great again. <laughs> yeah. Let's not go there. Well, and I, I think a lot of us have recalled, you know, how that's been done at a lot of the, you know, past years. And I think the thing that struck me about this year is one, it seemed like a dwarfed version of this and fewer teams right uh, yeah i think fewer. F- fewer teams and i thought the the quality of what was being done in terms of actually looking because it is a pairing event it's not who makes the best drink and who makes the best food they're looking at you know kind of a pairing activity collaborate i don't know i i don't i just something got lost between the bartenders and the chefs somewhere along the way that it just it didn't seem to kind of come together there really were well. a lot of them that i thought probably had never met before they actually set up I would agree with that, yeah. I, I think bourbon cocktails are very difficult to pair with, period. I, it's a I it's a very difficult, you know, uh, base liquor to try and stand up with enough food. That's why I like the squash and the and the short rib. I thought that stood up to the bourbon well. I, I think you need a bold food to pair with a bourbon cocktail because in order to make a cocktail with bourbon, it needs to be really on the bitter side or really on the sweet side because otherwise all you're going to taste is that bourbon, that corn. And, you know, there were so many really delicate like nice sweet nice plates and i was kind of like someone has never tried to pair with bourbon before because bourbon needs bold food it neither needs to be spicy or sweet or something you need to to match the sweetness or offset it you don't do that with delicate and and yeah there was some great food there there was some sort of short rib situation and i just wanted whiskey i didn't want a cocktail with it i just wanted i agree i think that's the problem that we all run into with this event uh is that it's not. It's not really a, a. The cocktail night is not necessarily the whiskey lovers' night. It's the. Yeah. yeah. That's the foodies. Night. It's the foodie night. night yeah. yeah. Really, you could you could remove the cocktails and just have pours of bourbon, and everyone would be just yes. as happy at the end of the night. That's yeah. what we're doing tonight, though. For someone who's not from Louisville, though, and, and we haven't mentioned this, the the table, and I don't know the chef, but the table that had the Blantons, the the beef, yeah. uh, well, and bourbon yeah. Bourbon yon. I went back three times. I thought that one was delicious. Uh, I'm with you. It was, to me, it was asked, asked for a to-go box. It was, and that it was, was mine. Not appropriate. <laughs> it was from. It was my favorite of the night that by was, far. Uh, they, so they switched. They do the the classic pairing and then the contemporary pairing. And I remember Larry last night saying, "Like I did not realize that they were going to switch." And he had like <laughs> he loaded up Larry, completely Larry from on the, the bourbon guys round. is not with us today. Uh, but uh, the uh, the word of the day was, "I did not know there was a second round." <laughs> Who did not tell me? Why did you not tell me? There no, was a Larry would round. say. The word of the day is duck fat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so some of us went home and went to bed, and some of us did not. And those who didn't got the opportunity at Milkwood last night to have a duck fat cocktail that was out of this world. That was amazing. That was was the best cocktail I had of the night. It was a good cocktail, yeah. One behind the bar at Milkwood. You ever had a popular duck fat cocktail? I have not. It was a duck fat infused gin. Gin. Yeah. Oh, gin. Yeah. Milkwood being the uh, one, the second restaurant opened by celebrity chef Edward Lee of Louisville. Hmm. He's got himself a fine bartender. Yeah, she did a great job. The the, the guy behind the bar who made the that I think y'all were talking about two different people. So that's <laughs> 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 but some of us couldn't join that because we were well, trying to get others home. You know. Yeah. Juan. Juan. <laughs> so, uh, Juan was great, and then the yeah makeup tips with the with the other bartender that was great. So. Yeah. <laughs> so today is Saturday, which is the main event for the Bourbon Classic. Um, so we start out with Bourbon University in, in the mid afternoon, I guess you would call it. Um, what's everyone looking forward to? What sessions are you guys looking at before we get to the, the the main event? The Bourbon and Ham pairing. Yeah, 
I'm with you on that it's one. Always the one that does. It, yeah, those we're saying we have. You have to get there early for to get into that one. That one fills up well, every year. It's ham yeah, and, so and chocolate this ham, year. Ham, right? chocolate, and bourbon pairings. Steve Coombs is in on that panel. Um, Kelly some of the from Artie Dibbles. Mm-hmm. Which one is Marianne Barnes on this year? She's doing uh, the craft panel. There is a craft panel, and I am I like actually looking one, yeah. forward to that one. I think that's the That'll one I'll probably exciting. go to. Uh, I like the uh, the panel with uh, Fred No, uh, <laughs> and I think it's mm-hmm. Pam and Pam from Michter's, Fred and who's the third person? I forgot. We just anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was the one I was. We're all was, very well prepared in yeah. case you're wondering. Ta-da. So is Fred uh, moderating? Fred Minnick moderating? No, no he's no. on a panel though. He's um, on the general session yeah. panel with yeah. um, some other journalists. I don't think they're journalists. doing the Bourbon Masters this year, right? No. <clears throat> yeah. The closest no. to it is the little seminar with Fred No and someone else that we really like you know the the one thing i really love about this event we uh this crew really goes to a ton of festivals i mean we've seen each other probably five six times you know a year and the one thing that i know that we really enjoy about this particular event is really getting to see the people i don't know so much that you know these particular events that we've talked about are really kind of the the show pieces i really think this is a, a borderline trade tasting because of the number of, of people that really come out for this event, a lot of good media representation, and a lot of good representation from the industry. A lot of master distillers, a lot of good people that are out involved in the operational areas for a lot of the distilleries here in Kentucky. So I really love that. Yeah, you could. If, I live here in Louisville, so I, I will say if, if you want to do something bourbon related where there's a master distiller, you can do it pretty much every weekend in Louisville. It just it's always happening a dinner some sort of charity event something this one the bourbon affair and a couple other ones um just seem to be like the big things where people like dress up and they they make sure that like we're always going to have our master distiller available on this this weekend we're always going to be there we're always going to have a table and we're and they're not sending their b teams they send you know this is one of the events that you should come to and it's because lot of people just come to it it's this is one of the first ones that started it's one of the biggest ones they, they do a really good job with the the main event tonight so um, I'm really looking forward to tonight but before we really get into so, the main event there was another event that happened this week that I don't think most of us got to except for pops and that was a release of a 45 year old <laughs> bourbon yes indeed tell us how awesome that was um, let's All just say um, happy to be there uh, <laughs> experience of a lifetime and How many um, bottles did you buy? <laughs> um, experience of a lifetime. Um, no, I mean, the, the event itself, before I talk about the whiskey itself, uh, f- fantastic event. Obviously, um, they raised just short of a quarter of a million dollars in Jeez, the sales of these, these bottles. Wow. For those who are familiar, it's a 45-year-old bourbon. And they decided to release 100 bottles for sale, package in a nice container with a sample bottle, the full bottle, some piece of the barrel staves, the glass, and sold that, raised a quarter of a million dollars, donated to uh, military uh, benefit, and they actually brought in a um, Congressional Medal of Honor winner to the event. So, f- fantastic event. Um, so, everyone who attended got an opportunity to, to taste. They brought out two glasses for each person. One was a neat pour of the 45-year-old bourbon, and then a pour with a little bit of sherry added. And the sherry came into play because they brought in um, Bill Thomas from Jack Rose, and we're talking about how uh, people would doctor the whiskey to help uh, alleviate some of the, the wood tannins, and he said add sherry. So we got to taste it, and I'll be perfectly honest, uh, it's exactly what you would expect it to be. I think I said it was garbage, hyper sweet on the, on, on, on the, on the front, um, followed by um, a wave of super oaky tannins like being chewing on a wet log. Um, and I think there was a, I said there was a touch of sadness <laughs> in, in, in involved. I mean, it was, you know, take a wet log from a river and chomp on it, and this was not as good. Yeah. Um, and I have to be honest, the addition of the sherry was, was horrible. Mm. Um, wow. That's sad. But, you know, everybody going into it, nobody went into this event thinking this was going to be utterly amazing there's the a reason ever yeah there's a reason there's no 45 year old bourbons right so um it was for a good cause it was tasty check that list um but i would you know i know people bought the bo- the bottles and flipped them 
somewhere flip for 5k two hours later 7500 yesterday morning 7500 wow so it's about the collection it's about things of that nature but great bucket list um and um i'm glad i'm here to live to tell about it (laughs) so i think there's some good takeaways from this particular experience that you talked about because uh you know we all uh look at how consumers react to age products and you know we everybody's always chasing things that have tremendous age and in this case it was a one-off novelty you know experience of it and we've we've had products as recently as just you know in the last year that were released that were in that you know 24 27 year you know space and you guys are all nodding your heads going yeah and and they're going for major bucks too on top of that and how many of us have had some of those products and went Wow, would you mind extracting the stave out of my left yeah. cheek? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I've even tried, uh, and that's a scotch trick about adding, you know, sherry. And mm-hmm. so my uh, my trick is actually using a spritzer, like a martini uh, spray. And you just spray the inside of the glass before you actually pour the liquid in there. I don't know if you guys what did you it that with? way. I don't think they did. Yeah, so you just you drop some, some sherry into sherry. A, yeah, into yeah. a spray bottle. Great idea. And you just spray the inside of the glass, let the gra- glass fully drain. So all you're really just left with is kind of a, a, a residue layer of sherry. And then add, um, so, you know, everybody was always saying, you know, these products are over-oaked is kind of the, you know, the trick question, yeah. And... So if you run into a product that you think has uh, maybe a bit too much uh, wood on it, might try that trick. It might make it a little bit more enjoyable. Personally, I mean, I, I tend to look for the, the uh, inflection point with water, you know, to mm-hmm. actually, you know, temper a lot of the wood tannins, you know, that Pops talked about. I think a good oh. note is, you know, you guys were all together doing the tour. I went on a series of media events um, for the bulk of this week. And it was on the real bus. The yeah. real bus. Well, you know. Um, <laughs> Next year, I'll go with you guys. How about that? <laughs> um, but we, we stopped at Michter's, and they gave us a great tour, great tasting. Rolled out about 11 different whiskeys to try at the end of the, the trip. And one of them was their 25. And I've had the 20. Their 20 is one of my favorites in the last couple of years that came out. Not because I can afford to buy a bottle, but because someone else did. And I tried the 25, and it tipped the scales. It went oak. Um, yeah, and yeah. I'm not, I don't like that super oaky. So it's once again, people get excited about yeah. it because it's five more years. Yeah. You know, there's an inflection point for everything. Yeah, so, those five more years only matter on the label. I'm still giving else. I'm still giving tours at uh, at New Riff. That's one of my like side jobs that I still do, just because I, I really love giving tours, and I take it as my own personal exa- a chance to try and educate the general public a little bit more about bourbon and whiskey. And that's one of the things I always talk about is that everyone always thinks, as the general public, that the older the better. That that's always what works, but. Um, I, I, I always add that into my tours, even though it's not on my script. Just this is the difference between bourbon and scotch. This is why scotch has to be a little bit older. This is why bourbon ages a little bit faster. you got to understand that difference because, yeah. You, By you, a little bit, you mean a, sh- a lot <laughs> faster. Sorry, and, I censor myself. And as the world whiskey's uh, writer here, I would say, yeah, drink the 25-year-old scotch, not the 25-year-old bourbon. Without a doubt. Exactly. Without yeah. a doubt. So there, there are bourbons, uh, and Heaven Hill's a great example because they, they, a couple of years ago they took the 12 age statement off the Elijah Craig. Their yeah. stuff should not be aged yeah. past 12 years. People go nuts over the 18-year Elijah Craig, the 21 or whatever the other ones yeah. they've done, the 23-year-old Evan Williams. It gets successively worse after 12 years. Their juice should stop aging at about 12 years. About. Yeah. The 9 to 12-year range is kind of the ideal place for them. The va- look, the vast majority of bourbon, if you ask any of the master distillers, uh, Jimmy Russell, Jim Rutledge, whoever, Six to nine years is, is so the the things that can age past that are such a minuscule part of our inventory, and they're typically and you've got to th- you've got to talk about tier. Where is that barrel aging? The lower the tier, the cooler the the, the aging process. It picks up less wood. So you know I've I've done a lot of barrel selections and I've over the years and I've seen. Uh, the last two or three times we've done barrel selections they've picked the youngest whiskey but it was the darkest because it was a tier six for us hmm. so that's that is a huge deal so i'm gonna i'll shut it up from there and we've been talking about the bourbon classic uh here in louisville kentucky and now we're going to talk a little bit about the future we've talked about the past a lot uh, especially the recent past but i want to talk a little bit about bourbon so 2017 what? in american whiskey 
Um, whiskey advocate named Elijah Craig Batch uh, Barrelproof Batch B five one seven as their whiskey of the year. Um, when it came out, uh, Modern Thirst and a lot of other places said this is the best Elijah Craig that's come out in a long time, and there's no doubt about that. Whiskey advocate, well, there is doubt about that. You you certainly <laughs> welcome to argue that. A lot of places said it was great. The difference was that this year, Whiskey Advocate named it the Whiskey of the Year. And I kind of stepped back from that and said, really? I, I didn't say it was the best whiskey I've had this year. I didn't say it was phenomenal. I just said it was the best that they've done for Elijah Craig Barrel Proof. In a while. In, at least in a while, but in, in, a, in, in whatever you could remember in the, in the recent past. Um, my issue with it was it started a big discussion on social media of, what was the whiskey of the year for 2017? What really stood out? And what really kind of stood out to us is that maybe some private barrel picks were the best things, but there seemed to be kind of a fall off from 2016 where there was a lot of really innovative product hitting the market. Is, that, is it innovative picking a barrel? Innovative picking a barrel. Yeah, a yeah. yawn. <laughs> innovative <laughs> barrel picking, I think you should call it. But I, I kind of felt like How in a lot are like those things everybody has. I mean, so I don't think you can just pick one, one, one person's or one store's or one selection and call it the best You're of right. anything. No, because there should, there no, should no be way. a separate. Ridiculous. For, for yeah. single barrel picks should have a completely yeah. separate. Regardless, I felt like 2017, when, when I kind of posed the question to other people on social media and other writers, we had a really hard time coming up with not just finding what the whiskey of the year was, but what stood out to us in 2017? And we had a really hard time even coming up with nominees for it. And it kind of came back to us, yeah, I guess B517 was all right. Yeah. yeah. I remember an email that good old boy Mike sent out saying, hey, what's y'all's picks for best whiskey of the year? And it was crickets. It, yeah. Indeed. I mean, we ended up picking up uh, Kentucky Al Rye as, uh, you know, uh, one of the six products that we named. But even if you, even if you look at the other you know four or five uh, you know we we named in that I mean they were just you know annual releases of you know some other really great products uh, Four Roses limited edition you know 2017 was on the list so I don't um, think Four Roses <laughs> ever put out a limited edition that wasn't really good it just there's some years that just like yeah. explode when you when you when you drink them they explode on the palate and there's some years that are just like oh this is pretty good. I thought this Real year was pretty excellent, else. but it was a little overshadowed by the Al Young release, too. Yeah, and, and personally, it, it all depends on your personal taste. I understand why people like the Al Young, but that 23-year-old, particularly if you just opened a bottle fresh and started, it, once the Al Young sat and got some air to it, that the woodiness kind of dissipated. And rye. And I just liked the uh, limited edition uh, small batch better for me. Uh, because it, it, I'm more of a sugar daddy caramel guy, and it didn't have that older whiskey. I thought you were just my sugar daddy. <laughs> <laughs> but everyone's my sugar daddy. Everyone in the it was on Thursday. Everyone in the blogosphere is talking about the single barrel picks in 2017 and being the big thing of 2018. But when you think about it, um, you're going to have uh, <laughs> most bourbon drinkers are going to buy two bottles of that, and you're going to have a hundred people who are going to get that specific barrel Absolutely. of whiskey. Well, so why spend even, why spend so much time talking about it? That's not even fair because you could find a single barrel pick of anything that could be the whiskey of the year, just depending on whether you happen to find that one just cherry barrel of buffalo standard yeah, but buffalo trace. that's not the trace. art of making whiskey. The art is count. blending it and putting right. it out in a batch that everybody gets to have. 100%. Just, just remember, Bill, yeah. your barrel pick was someone else's rejected barrel pick. Right. Exactly. And, and My I barrel mean, pick was the best barrel pick that's ever been done. <laughs> for that, for I mean, that it, used, it used to be barrel picks were exciting because people had access to things that no one else was getting. So now that it's ubiquitous. and uh, it, winners it, and losers. Right. And, and true, barrel picks are when you go to a bar, I mean, I go for their barrel picks because I want something a little, bit, a little bit different. And that's the trend. But as you're saying, you know, yawn. You well, know, it's going to get old real fast. So what's next? Well, Everybody knows that like even the small guys are getting on the barrel picks now. Like there's right. the craft, you know, small distilleries are doing, you can do a single barrel pick of that. And well, like, I, I think uh, the, the, I'm going to jump all over this and say, uh, I think the word I would use about this uh, trend is uh, it's distracting. Um, I think it's distracting for the consumer. I think it's distracting for the distillery. I think it is time-consuming and not adding value in the retail channel. And 
I would really like, uh, especially for. I think retailers would argue with you all day. Right. I, I, yeah, I think they would. I would for like. Sure. I would like the producers getting back to driving the taste profile for their products, and I can think of a few products where you, the taste profile has become so fragmented between the the single barrel pick program and their master distiller blend that you d- you're not really quite sure what's in the bottle you well, know anymore i've got to say this the, the, the this high end bourbon business is it is becoming very much like the wine business y'all are drinking everything where traditionally the old school thank you marketing was <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> well what we are drinking all of it don't get a free t-shirt <laughs> well it, it's you know back in the day your your father was drinking uh, jim beam or or whatever and that's the only thing he drank i think and it's, you meant it's yellow um yellow label yellow, yellow label uh, is what they what grandfathers were drinking and well my yeah my grandmother more more so um, so it, it's a completely different attitude and mindset. People, it's it's become the wine business. It's very very fragmented. You're 100 percent right with that. I have a thought on that, and Wes, maybe you chime in here because I think America is one of the few places that put all this emphasis on the distiller. In Scotland and Ireland, it's on the blender, and the blender is what's is who's the guy that's making it taste what it's supposed to taste like. And now we're like, oh no, we all want our own special thing. Well, yeah, no, it's, uh, people. People want to create their own taste. So I think it's that everyone's so excited about it's bourbon. They, they want to be able to have it's like that little unique. bit of ownership, yeah. that little bit of thing that says, I'm connected to I this. I made this. Yes. I picked that. And if I'm buying the bottle, I want something that someone else can't have. It's my I can't sticker. find Pappy, right. therefore, but I can have a single barrel of... Hey, Carrie Ann, you, you talk about, you know, I'm a historian by training. Uh, I would say a lot of that comes back to the, just this American individuality. Mm-hmm. It carries over into our bourbon and our whiskey where we want to have something that's unique and have something that's uniquely mine that this is my bottle from this barrel or whatever and I picked it. That is not the case in Scotland. They're well, trying to make something that in my opinion is there, there's more, I would say there, uh, you may disagree with this, I say there's more history. They're trying to keep some, a tradition yeah. from that and that's going. the harder job than going and picking a barrel that tastes totally like nothing that you've but, ever tasted. Like but but y'all are y'all are completely discounting the single malt market. The single malt availability back when I started in the business, you had Glenn Fittick, Glenn Levitt, and maybe one other one. Doers. <laughs> well, I blended. That's blended. So if you look at I just threw up a little. If you look at the amount of the the single malt scotch scotches that are available today, the same thing's going on with that as well. But it's still a speck in their inventory of what they're doing. It's still majority blended. Right. But where is that market uh, skyrocketing in the United States. Do you think that has yeah. more to do with like the cultural differences as far as the importance of individuality in the United States versus uh, so I used to live in, in, in England for a little bit while. Yeah, and it was like I was always surprised when I was in England, you know, how conform, not I don't want to say conformist, but just to my American eyes, it seemed like everyone was kind of listening to the same music, kind of wearing the same style of clothes. Like there's there's such a small hmm variety of like television channels to listen to oh, i think it'd make a great dissertation i th- I, I agree <laughs> i think american i think american some other markets have driven that single malt growth uh, from scotland and other areas china for sure and uh, you know I, I always have this argument with people is you know we're all big whiskey drinkers right we know a lot right and we are in terms of growth, <laughs> deep thoughts, I know, thank you. Um, we are such a small part of the market. I mean, when you look at the growth and you look at all the scaling that's being done by all the distilleries, we're, we're, we're the kind of, we're the noisy minority, right, about this thing. So all the growth, all the just, the, the big growth is not worried about the single barrel picks. They're not worried about that individuality. So I always try to balance a conversation about what we want as the whiskey geeks, bourbon nerds, whatever, exactly. versus where they're selling the volume. And they have to balance that, which is hard. It is, yeah. And, but, I, but to the other side, I look at where does innovation come into the U.S. market. And for me, it's the craft, it's the blending, it's the people who are willing to say, I don't need the taste like this. I'm going to create a forge a new path. That's what gets me excited. So is the future of America, this, this is something that I've been struggling with for a while, is the future of American whiskey craft distilleries who are trying to replicate what the big distilleries do? No. Or should no. the craft no. distilleries be out there saying, I'm going to find a new mash bill, I'm going to do a single mole, I'm going to do something They really need to be unique. their own man, own they women, and 
own it, yeah. yeah. I Absolutely. think craft distilleries are really driving innovation, and the big distilleries <laughs> are picking up on, on on trying to kind of mimic what craft is doing, not the other way around. Not craft us. is really dri- <laughs> is really driving this whole movement of being innovative and making something a little different. I say boring in Japanese, Dan. <laughs> and, and, and I would ar- I would argue that we need to create an American single malt category. I mean, a lot of those those craft distilleries, that's the area where they're going to make their name. They're not going to compete with the Four Roses, the Jim Beams, and the others, but they're going to make a name in something that is uniquely Colorado. Until they get bought by one of those. Or, as Justin Timberlake would say, you know, Montana whiskey or something. (laughs) That Blanton's Uh, Montana whiskey? (laughs) So, not to interrupt everyone here, but we don't have a lot of time left on this podcast, but I want to go around the table and I want to say everyone's tasted a lot of stuff this weekend. I want everyone to name what is the favorite thing you've tasted and what is the worst thing you've tasted this weekend. And you've got to be specific on the brand here. So we're going to throw some people under the bus. The bus. (laughs) Speaking of the bus, I just want to give a quick shout out to David at Oak Barrel Tours. He's a new company here in Louisville doing um, a great little tour and service and just another option for your transportation needs and he drove our awesome. sorry asses around on thursday he was fantastic fantastic uh, he was overqualified the bus was really pretty before we were on it yes y'all get what's left he, he did a great job it was a good time and i highly recommend him oakbarreltours.com so let's start with matt here what's the best thing you had this weekend it might be this um, barrel proof right I'm drinking right now, or I did. This is or I the just drank. C917. Is that what we said? Yeah, I picked yes. up one of these at the gift shop Elijah as well. Craig barrel proof C917 that is now empty. I don't know if I would have had a worst did until this morning, where I decided to take off your bar that uh, <laughs> Winchester. I was like, I need to know, understand how bad this is. The brave man. Terrapure, it was a Terrapure Winchester Extra Smooth. If you look on monitorthirst.com, it is the lowest ranking whiskey we have ever reviewed. That Terrapure system. Oh, terrapure. Super fast Dan, and extra can, aging. Can you is take part in this? Great. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refrain. Dan, I, I, it, Dan well, abstains. Well, I, I, look, I don't have a great palate, so nobody needs to take my lead on if, what anything is good or bad. If you don't want to bash someone, I completely understand. I didn't mean to throw anyone under the bus on that. It, but if, if anyone has anything awesome that they want to point out that they tasted, Feel free. Well, uh, uh, well, we didn't it, talk about what we drank at Luxro, and well, I, I was going to mention was that. Pretty fun yeah, stuff. Yeah, I've not tasted hey. that before. I've really liked the, that yeah, stuff the just because I've not I had it before. Really, so, really like the number four that's still coming out. <laughs> yes, it hasn't come out yet. <laughs> so carry in. It's coming. Tell coming. us about. You, you have some pin- opinions here. Yeah. So y'all help me out on the memory. So <laughs> the pack four is. Toasted. Finished in, in a barrel that it the char has been removed. They refurbished the barrel, so they scraped out. out the inside of it, recharred it, and then <laughs> toasted they re-aged it. Toasted. 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 There's no char in the second. Anyway, it was yeah. delicious. I toast really enjoyed finish. it. I like it's that. the Thanks, first John. blood oath that I've thought <laughs> is really worth the retail price. I agree. Yeah. yeah. I love that That's one. pretty I like good. I, it'll be interesting how the branding concept of the blood oath line uh will play into something that's really quite good in that line because uh you and i were chatting about the first two versions first pack one and two and it's like yeah they're fine if they weren't charging 90 to 100 yeah the value proposition was off about 39 bucks i'm all in that's what he said they want to keep improving it and they they have yeah i I, i've always been a big fan of what john does john rempe um he's really an enthusiast who happens to have become very good at, at blending and, and, and happens to have been involved with this and, and I think it's fantastic if, if my life could be different I would be like how can I become a guy who just makes the bourbons mm. uh, yeah. but yeah so Blood I, Oath 4 yeah, I really did enjoy that by and far the blood, best yeah. one I've had this weekend mm-hmm. or of the past uh, series of the, yeah. of the Blood Oaths it's by far the best okay. I, I'm on board I did uh, love that that Elijah Craig that was delicious I, I've thoroughly enjoyed that i want to say last night at, at milkwood i had the the four roses small batch and that was a bourbon that i drank all the time when i first got into bourbon like you know many years ago it was sort of my go-to and i would talk about it all the time but as you get into bourbon you start trying other things you kind of forget about the things that you that you love that you brought into it i really enjoyed drinking the four roses small batch last night and kind of 
getting back into that and going like, oh yeah, like this is what got me into bourbon in the first place. So it was great. Nice. Yeah, I had some winners and losers. <laughs> <laughs> Dan's Mike. throwing honeys out on the table. I think Mike Everybody has a list one. made out already. I don't know. I have, I have a couple winners, maybe a loser. Uh, so um, my uh, one of my favorites was actually one of the things I brought um, was the old charter 1968. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, we've, we've had a lot of fun <laughs> with or this. H dated, right? Or I'll, 2012. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, so, uh, I lucked into a case that was incredibly dusty and the, uh, the owner at the retail shop said, Oh yeah, it's been sitting there since the seventies at least. And, uh, it was, was age dated at least. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I mean, you have difficulty always, uh, sometimes in, uh, understanding the provenance and as well as the you know uh, vintage elements around a lot of liquor products but this one is probably a little bit more difficult than you know some other ones so i was looking at the bottle and the label and i was like yeah you know and i was listening to the retailer that was my big mistake and uh (laughs) so i uh ended up about the whole case we came back and and several people have enjoyed this and i brought it with me on the trip and so we're enjoying it, and Carrie Ann uh, picks up the bottle. She says, "Well, Mike's well, telling me it maybe is from 1972. It's the year of my birth, so I'm very interested. I would really like to show that this is 1972, so I could convince Mike to give me one of these bottles <laughs> when I am checking out the bottle." And I'm looking and looking. I'm like, something has to give us a clue here. And lo and behold, on the neck label. Bourbonwhiskey.com, it says. Yeah. And I asked Mike, exactly when was it that Al Gore when, invented the yes. interweb? I, I was trying to remember when that happened. Has that ever happened to you, Pops? <laughs> I make no mistakes. There you go. Uh, the other uh, the other thing I actually, I did bring this. But it's is, delicious. It was. So it, there. it was delicious. Uh, so I also brought a private barrel pick from Four Roses, O-E-S-K. And is a private barrel pick, uh, picked by a social uh, whiskey club that I help uh, organize in Nashville called the Whiskey House. And uh, it's the first time we had done uh, something on our own. And uh, I, it's a group of extraordinary uh, folks, um, really great palates. And uh, it was great to, to share that with Dan, because I know that Dan and a lot of the other people uh, from the Whiskey House were involved uh, through picking that barrel, and it was really great to, to come back and share that, because I know you go through a ton of barrel picks all the time, but it was it was cool to sit down. Not at my house, but down I'm there. I'm sorry, <laughs> were you not just the one to say yawn to barrel picks? I did, yeah, but I like the juice in that. Circle I didn't back. say I like the process <laughs> or the impact That's on the industry. good old boy, Mike. Yeah. The Burned one, wood. Uh, the one thing I did not like this weekend was the Ziffendale on the Remus uh, cocktail. I did not particularly enjoy the the uh, the wine or you know just uh, I don't know. It was very distracting. Pops. All right. Well, I'll start with the worst. I think it, it goes without saying. The forty five year old bourbon. Um, <laughs> I don't understand. He's like humble brag. I tasted it. But you it was eighteen hundred dollars. But, but, but I, I have to tell you that uh, I can't uh, appreciate the fact that they've created beachfront property in my mouth. Um, the, desert, the desert sandiness, dryness um, is overwhelming. If I had a dime for every time I said that. <laughs> exactly. Um, far as the best, I was actually surprised um, when we were at Michter's and they were carting us through. They let us actually dump a barrel and uh, scoop out from that. Oh, I love that aroma, buddy. Yeah, exactly. And now the, the whiskey that we drank um, from the barrel was phase two. So this was their recipes contract distilled. So they didn't make it. Um, they're replicating that in theory now so we'll wait and see what comes out and it was astounding it was so good i mean obviously anytime it comes right out of the barrel it's good but we tried it again uh out of a bottle and it was equally as good so i was fairly impressed with that as well as the uh barrel strength rye that they're putting out okay we're running out of time but i got a few here uh easy bill help me recalibrate my low end of my scale winchester uh, without a doubt, um, a shot heard uh, around the world. I, I yeah. tasted that last night and I said, "Wow, now that is a that is not a good whiskey." Uh, I'm going to do one that I want them to recreate, or if there's bottles still out there, to send me a bottle. Heaven Heaven Hill Select Stock, uh, the eight-year-old weeded bourbon, finishing cognac cast. Please oh, make we, more. Did we talk that up enough? Please. <laughs> we, we tasted. We may have tasted that in my house. Oh after well, after we talked it up. Oh well. Yeah, we tasted it before that actually. Yeah, um, before, yeah. I uh, need to send some of that or make more of that. Uh, for two that you can get, I would say the Elijah Craig C- C917 Barrel Proof is amazing. Uh, I really like the Rebel Yell 10-year-old single barrel. I thought that was fantastic. And being the Scotch guy, 
I've only had two or three scotches this week being in Louisville, but I would say for a... They have a, scotch here? <laughs> no, but Bill had some in his house. Oh. Uh, if you're looking at a uh, low-cost, uh, sherried uh, whiskey, Glengoyne, 10-year-old, go out and chase it. And, and I can't really argue with what, what, with what anyone said tonight. Um, we had a 13-year Willet pick, and then Mike actually brought two of my, my more favorite uh, whiskeys that I had this week, and he brought the, uh, the Four Roses pick, and he also brought the 14-year Willet. Um, both of those were in probably my top five or six of, of the weekend. Um, we had a blend straight from the barrel that I really enjoyed, but it was mine. And I think everyone meant to say that that was their favorite, but yes. they, they kind of forgot. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the 13-year Willet that, that was at the Wednesday night tasting in my house that no one here brought was my probably favorite My favorite Willet thing. is the one we got this morning. <laughs> right, yeah. It was very, I heard it was very light on the palate. Yeah. It was pretty light. Yeah. Yes. It's called Ether. They just turned mm-hmm. the lights out on that us. Means wow, they're they're saying that this yeah. is the end. Yeah, yeah. So, time. so I want to thank everyone for joining us. Um, this has been a great weekend. I want to thank, again, I want to thank uh, Dan for everything you've done for us uh, this weekend and, and, and before this weekend. And I want to thank Mike for all of this. Uh, you, if you're not here, so no one can see actually all of the technical work that has gone into setting this up. It's not easy. Yeah. It, it, it's taken a lot of time, and, and he held a lot of equipment here. So thanks, Mike, again. Fantastic. And thanks, thanks to Bourbon Classic for hosting us. Thanks to the Bourbon Classic and Michelle so. uh, from, from FSA. Uh, FSA. It's a great yeah. event. You should come. Yeah, and, and everyone should make, uh, make this one of your destination bourbon events of the year. But thanks, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Uh, cheers, and have a great, uh, great 2018. Cheers. 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 cheers.